Hook them up with he and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. Yeah, there he is. That's uh, Gary Clark Jr. Be playing ACL, LCL. Said ACL. I'm not talking about Bud Light, but the LCL stage on Saturday. Nice, big time. See a Grammy-winning performer for free ahead of a football game. Features your Longhorns. That's a pretty good day. Have they had a bigger act than that at LCL? Somebody else can tell me, but I don't think so. I mean, this oh, guy, he's, he's saying like he lives a, local, though, and he's yeah. tied in close with C3 and Live Nation in that group. And obviously, you know, he roots for the Longhorns. He grew up here in Austin, around Rock. And uh, so I'm sure it's, uh, yeah, I'll come play. Why not? Um, Give me some tickets. Did, Give me on the sidelines. Did, did they have Luda there? Yeah. You, Nelly. You know, somebody uh, who's got a better. Nelly there or something? No, I'm saying, Nelly was a big but, one. But, though, yeah, so those guys are, obviously, those acts are really big. But in terms of currently relevant. He's still, like, currently, he's still, right now, he's close to his prime. Like, he's in his prime. I Those think, acts are not, Nelly wasn't in his prime. More people would Never. still probably know who Nelly is over characters. Yes, I agree. I agree. But as far yes. as for fans of, uh, here in Austin and, and Texas and uh, the Texas music groups, this is pretty big. It's a good chance to go see a really good show. Gosh, I've seen, you know, Gary's, Gary's somewhat of a friend. I've seen him, I've seen him a bunch around town, and um, he's, he's out and about. He lives out in Kyle. And uh, good for him to come in and play that uh, on Saturday. It's good to have the Longhorns back in town. It's been a while. It's been a month now since the Longhorns played a home game. They'll have one on Saturday. The question is, who will be your starting quarterback? Looks like it'll be Malik Murphy. We'll hear Sark coming up on uh, you know, both he and Arch Manning. Malik Murphy and Arch Manning will get reps coming up this week to get ready for a BYU Cougar team, Rod. And it really is you know, a critical stretch. I mean, if you look at uh, the, the, the final three opponents for the Longhorns, they're combined under 500. When you're looking at uh, Iowa State, Texas Tech, and TCU, they're either at 500 or under in Texas Tech's case. These next two opponents are both five and two, so you're talking about combined ten and four. Uh, this is a, a you know, and K State is a team that's five and two and on the rise. Uh, I'm not sure. K State always gets better as the season goes they on. They do. Chris Kleiman teams, right? Yep. And now they've Chris inserted Kleiman. this freshman Avery Johnson as a, uh, a, a running quarterback to go with Will Howard. So they kind of have a two-headed monster at that position. So those, you know, these two games uh, very, very critical because uh, you know with the 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 performance on Saturday that you know left a lot of cleaning up to do and a lot to be desired for the Longhorns, bursting out to the 21 nothing lead and then having to hold on for a victory and a, a kind of good fortune. By the way, Rod, did you see that? Uh, Dana Holgerson was asked yesterday about his uh, the fourth you know the, the the last drive of the game on the third down the measurement that, yeah, yeah. I was asked if he had gotten the better spot what he would he he said yesterday and confirmed that if they go in and score there One he was two. going for two he was I, going for two I believe that I mean he, he's beaten Texas on two point conversion before yeah he has <laughs> at West Virginia yeah he was so. going for two they weren't playing for overtime the plan was as they got that. down inside the red zone that if they scored we'll get get our best two point play ready. And we'll try to take advantage of this tired Texas team yep. on defense. And uh, so, you know, obviously good fortune there. It's the Longhorns. But you know what? On your way to a championship, if the Longhorns can still achieve that, uh, you got to have some good fortune. Uh, and you also yeah. have to navigate injuries. No doubt. And, and now they're dealing with a little bit of both. I think the, uh, the, the depth that we've all been, you know, complimenting Sarkon, uh, constructing with this roster, uh, it will definitely be tested now. There is no doubt. This is at that point in the season where they're, they're depth at quarterback, the depth on defense. They're secondary. Secondary. Leaky right now. Yeah, it's uh, tested in a lot of ways. So we'll hear from Sark talking about that, but there's no doubt the rest of these wins, yes, survive an advanced situation because uh, you just you may not know how many how many frontline guys you have available. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian will be facing his alma mater 
this week. We found out yesterday at his Monday news conference that the head coach, um, Kalani Sataki out there at BYU, was a teammate of uh, Steve Sarkeesian when they were at BYU together back cool. in the day. Now he's in his eighth year with the Cougars. And their offensive coordinator, Rod, was one of Sark's receivers that he was throwing to at BYU back in the day. So, oh, man. Yeah, he's got a lot of familiarity with these guys. Small world. Uh, they're coming off uh, a win over Texas Tech. By the way, in that Texas Tech win, they, they generated 125 passing yards total to BYU, but they forced five turnovers. That's what it's about. Remember, because uh, Texas Tech is now down to their third quarterback. Speaking of quarterback injuries, Texas Tech had a guy starting on the road for the first time, and BYU took advantage of him out in Provo. So we'll learn more about the Cougars. Um, we'll get you ready for Texas BYU. Uh, but let's get you caught up on the top headlines of this Tuesday morning, which includes one of the Texas teams is headed to the World Series. Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment bring it to you. Only two years after losing 102 ball games, the Texas Rangers are headed to the World Series. They clinched their first trip to the Fall Classics since 2011 with an 11-4 demolition of the defending champion Astros in Game 7 last night at Minute Maid Park. Series MVP Odolis Garcia and Corey Seager combined for seven hits and six RBI last night. Helped the Rangers steamroll their way into the franchise's third World Series and another trip to the World Series for their first-year manager, Bruce Bochy. His team faced a lot of adversity to get to this point. Everything was a fight to get here. How did you see this team come together and evolve to get to the World Series? I tell you what, leaving spring training, I had a great feeling about these guys. Such a close-knit group. And even Gil, they didn't get too up, too down, and they kept getting up, kept getting up. And that's what makes a good ball club. Came in here against the odds to do this against a great ball club. It's unbelievable. All right, uh, Texas will host either the Philadelphia Phillies or the Arizona Diamondbacks uh, in Game 1 of the World Series on Friday night. That series will be decided by with a decisive Game 7 tonight in Philly. Diamondbacks took Game 6 yesterday 5-1. to one. Texas football, Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers now considered week-to-week, according to head coach Steve Sarkeesian, with that right shoulder injury he suffered against Houston on Saturday. Coach Sark confirmed his status at his weekly Monday news conference yesterday. Also said it's now time to get the backups ready for this Saturday. We'll go through the week, and, and Arch and uh, Malik will both get a ton of reps. Uh, I, if the game was being played today, Malik would start the game. Um, and, and, again, Arch will be ready to go. And like I said before, I've had a ton of confidence in Arch. You know, I think it was a couple weeks ago. I mean, he had a fantastic practice. Um, and so I'm really encouraged by that. You know, I think Coach Milwee's done a great job with, with both those guys. Um, and so we're fortunate, you know, and not, not every school – uh, is as fortunate as we are to, to have the quarterback room that we have and the connectivity that that room has. Coach Sark also said yesterday that sophomore defensive end Ethan Burke and starting safety Jalen Catalan also considered week-to-week week with knee injuries right now. Surprise, surprise on Monday Night Football to wrap up, wrap up week seven. Uh, homestanding Minnesota Vikings built an early lead and then held on to upset San Francisco 22-17. Kirk Cousins connected with rookie Jordan Addison on a pair of first-half touchdowns. Defensive back Cameron Bindham, uh, Bindham intercepted San Francisco's Brock Purdy twice in the fourth quarter to preserve the win. Vikings improved to 3-4. and four. Niners fall to 5-2. and two. Horn Headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. Halloween here is scarier than an OU cheerleader without makeup. But nothing scarier than missing out on employee pricing on all our zero-turn mowers this month. Top Gun. TopGun.net. We'll shoot you straight. Congratulations to the Texas Rangers and all the fans out there. Uh, Don't worry, Texas uh, Rangers fans out there. uh, We will pay off the bet, E and I. that will happen whenever we get back to uh, you know a more stable location and we can set up the cameras and everything. We'll get that done. Um, I will have to wear the 
Texas theme, Texas Rangers themed Luce Libra mask, which I must order. Actually, I didn't order it because Game well, Seven. I was can't order it until it's official. When it did, well, yeah. and it went to the last ball game. Yeah, it's official. It's official, official. And it was over last night. But uh, yeah, congratulations to the Rangers. We we previewed the series going in as a very even series. I think that was that was true. I thought the, rain, the Astros had a bit of an advantage in the bullpen at the, at the biggest moments. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we also said pretty clearly the Astros are going to have to play better at home than they have uh, coming oh. into the series. And obviously they did not. They didn't win a single game so bad. on their home field. They're I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty indefensible for the defending mm-hmm. champions. But the Rangers proved too big and too good and uh, too comfortable in that ballpark. But uh, that, that what we saw in the ALCS was just you know, furthering what's gone on for that team since mid-August where they have just collapsed at Minute Maid Park for whatever the reason. And it's not just one thing. The hitting has been a little bit lower, but the pitching hadn't been great. They're just not as good a team. Uh, who knows what the answer to that is for a two-month stretch now. The Rangers exercised some demons they uh, sure last did. night. That was, uh, that was big awesome. for that organization. It really was. And now the hope is that, you know, that going forward, both of these teams, it's been a while since both teams, I don't know if it's ever happened, actually, <laughs> uh, where both teams have been this good because the Astros are going to bring you back their court too. Uh, but the Rangers, uh, they're a streaky team, but they're also a really good, young, talented team with – like a lot of substance, and most all-stars this year, we talked about that, um, but still Rangers have kind of gone nationally under the radar for uh, for the most part because they're streaky. Well, I just mentioned they well, they lost 102 games two years ago. Yeah, because so, yeah. they weren't good for and, a long stretch, and while the Astros were good, so they kind of took over Houston in the, in the state and across the country. Yes, now the most they spent the team. money to do it. They did. I'll they look spent at, and, $87 million to do it. Good for them. That's exactly. That. They spent like $500 million. <laughs> if you add up the salaries they paid to, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying props to the ownership for going all in. Mm. They knew they had this fertile young farm system coming. Chris Young has done a great job as GM. But they then went and spent money on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon the first offseason. That was a huge investment in the middle of your infield. Uh, to bring in two players of that caliber, uh, then to go out and spend the money they did this offseason on the pitching staff, um, you know, to back up this this you know young nucleus that was coming through their system, and some really shrewd trades. I mean, you look at the Jonah High move, the uh, Nathaniel Lowe trade. Uh, these were these were really good moves that have solidified that team, and then the emergence of a Josh Young and an Evan Carter uh, to put it's just a really really well built team. Yeah. And now a well-managed and coached team by Bruce Bochy, who was the perfect hire for that locker room to kind of calm things down and bring just a real veteran presence that was going to back the ball club night after night. And when, when you hear Bruce Bochy say, don't get too high, don't get too low, stay even keeled, as you just did in the hear, heard him in the update, that's him. It is him. That is him. Yeah. I mean, that is absolutely Bruce Bochy. Attitude fr- reflects leadership. Yeah. And he is that leader. Uh, so, you know. That's why he's a big game coach. That's why he's a good big game manager. To your question say. about have they ever been good at the same time, not really. Not really. Because, look, the Astros have only been in the American League for 10 years. Yeah. So, and when they were one in the National, one in the American, they didn't play almost ever unless it was the, the, the interleague series. Um, and, you know, the, when the Astros joined the American League, they began – they were real bad, and the Rangers were real good, and then it just kind of flipped, flipped the other way. Yep. And now here we are back where you know I think the Astros are going away. Dusty Baker, by the way, may have managed his final game last night. There is uh, reporting already this morning that uh, Dusty had already informed Jim Crane mm. and the Astros that this would be his last year. Yeah, he was brought there for a, pr- a specific purpose. And he won his World Series, and yeah. it was right for the Astros yeah. to bring him back exactly. to make another run. And now it's over and likely mutually. 
Uh, Dusty will probably retire and uh, go live a great life and still be the coolest guy in every room he goes into. And uh, regardless of some of the decisions he made last night, because I have some questions about some of his pitching choices and pinch hitting not choices well, and things like that. But he's, not end, known, he's not known as a big game manager, though. He's not. He's not. not yeah. uh, but, you know, I, I didn't like the J.P. France decision last night. He hadn't pitched in a, in a month, it felt like, and he showed the rust of a pitcher that hasn't pitched. And, uh, then he stuck with J.P. France too long when he got him in there. Because remember, when J.P. France came in, it was 4-2 game. It was still a winnable ball game. He just needed to stem the tide. And J.P. France opened the floodgates again. And the Rangers went and scored eight more runs. And uh, really, the game was in the bag at that point. But either way, uh, Rangers, you know, you can't point to a Dusty Baker decision that doesn't, you know, I'm trying, trying, trying to minimize what the uh, the Rangers did because the Rangers just pounded lumps into the Astros this whole series. I mean, it was, oh, they just beat them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're a better team. They are a better and, team. That's, yeah. that, that, is, that is absolutely true. It was proven, yeah. I mean, because the Astros, the three-run homer from Altuve really, you know, kept them afloat uh, here over the last few games of this series. They were about to lose that game, and now they've lost back-to-back games here. Uh, as I said earlier, I think the Rangers absorbed the Astros' best punch, uh, and a champion is going to punch back, right, when they get punched and lose the first two games. But uh, the Rangers responded with the flurry which ended the fight, essentially, and they're going to the World Series. Props to them. All right, there's uh, some baseball. We've got the Longhorns on the brain, too. Let's uh, dive into Rod's rant of the day on a Tuesday. Let's hit it. Rod's rant of the day is brought to you by Apple Leasing, the easiest and safest way to get a new car, any make, any model. Click AppleLeasing.com and experience how easy it is. I'm as mad as hey, hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite. And start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, no, you've got it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. Okay, so I went back and watched the U of H game again. Yeah, because I'm a masochist. So uh, I wanted to watch something specifically, though. I was looking at the issues the defensive backs were having with the inside oh, nice. cuts and the inside breaking routes. And I, I really didn't think this was something that was going to rear its ugly head again. Um, but this is an issue that Texas had to deal with last season, actually. Um, and I stopped documenting, stopped tracking it because I didn't, I didn't think it was a, an issue anymore with Texas. But turns out in this game, um, and maybe it was something that U of A specifically looked at, um, it came up again. The, the issues with inside leverage or lack thereof for the Texas defensive backs. First, let's hear from Sark before we get into my analysis. Let's hear from Sark about the DBs, number one, um, and then we'll get into his, uh, his thoughts about the crossing routes. He was asked about both. First of all, I think he was asked about Jade Barron um, and Jade Barron's injury and how impactful that is. Uh, and he, get, he gets into really the versatility of Jade Barron and some of the injuries in the defensive backfield. Here's Sark uh, talking about the, uh, the DBs. Yeah, I, I think um, probably two things. You know, the versatility of, of, of Jed A is, is one of his strengths, right? He's got such a high football IQ, and his ability to play multiple positions for us is, is fantastic. You know, when we can play him at star, uh, I think that allows for his versatility to show up. We can play him in man coverage. We can play him in zone. Um, he's really good on the perimeter, on a lot of the perimeter screens. Uh, his recognition of concepts that are coming just like the fourth down play to get over the top when they were trying to pick him, I thought was big. His blitz ability. So all those things, 
we're allowed allows us to to utilize his strengths but he does have more than capabilities to to play at corner and even safety for that matter um, as the week goes on we'll, we'll assess that what's what's in our best interest for this game of what we need to do like I said I think it was big for Jalen Gilbo to, to play as much as he did Saturday especially that, in, that entirety of the first half um, so we know what we have there and his experience from last year and he feels really healthy and that looks good uh, but we're gonna have to monitor Gavin Holmes uh, we're gonna have to monitor you know Terrence Brooks got a little nicked up um, I think we're we're more than hopeful that we'll get Ryan Watts back this week which which was big for us and I think Manny Muhammad's coming so it's all predicated on where's our issues um, and trying to put the best five out there that that give us a chance and then rotate those other guys yeah so I think the number one issue that Texas had with defending these inside breaking routes was just their mash unit in the secondary they just are uh, between Ryan Watts and Jaden Catalan um, he just talked about Jay Barron didn't start that game he was in the boot and then uh, he ended up coming out in the second half and played a great game I don't know if they actually even win that game <laughs> without Jay Barron he was there to help break up the uh, the last uh, attempt to convert that fourth down by U of H um, and then you got you know, Terrence Brooks that went down for a little while Gavin Holmes went down for a little while so that's the number one issue they get healthier um, the front line guys who are considered to be the star they have better, uh, you know, experience and recall. So those guys and communication with each other because that helps. They have more uh, familiarity and more chemistry with one another because they played in that secondary longer together in that system. So the communication will be better because right now the communication in in back seven because the linebackers are included in passing off those crossing routes too. Um, it's just really bad. And we've talked about whether that's you're talking about the two-minute deep two-minute drill defense, or you're talking about targeting uh, clustered, closely clustered groups of receivers where you have to pass off routes, you have to play levels, or you have to play inside-out tango. Um, you have to communicate with other DBs about how you're going to pass off those routes in coverage once they declare. Texas isn't really good at that, and they're being exposed uh, in different ways. Um, so here's Sark talking about the crossers, and I'll get into my numbers uh, here in a second. Here's Sark talking about those cross routes that kept coming up over and over again in that U of H game um, and kept resulting in huge big plays. The crossing routes, you know, I think in twofold hurt us. Anytime you call crossers and you're in man coverage, it's difficult when they're picking the guy that's, that's guarding the man that's catching the ball. Um, and to their credit, they did a heck of a job picking us. You know, they didn't get called for it, so you can't complain that, that, it, that that's what was happening. Um, but it's, it's pretty obvious that, if, you know, when picks occur, and we got picked a couple times, and it created, that created a problem. We had one where it was poor communication. Um, we didn't cover it properly. And one, we were in zone. And when you're in zone, that's when you really got to be able to shut those crossers down and match those routes. So I think there was th levels to it. Um, but, but inevitably, we're going to have to play it better because we're going to see a ton of crossers this week. That's one of the staples of, of what BYU does. So we're going to have to play it better. Um, yeah, I might think you're going to see it the rest of the season, potentially, unless Texas learns how to play it better. So remember, last season this was an issue. I remember I went back and got my notes from last season because I remember talking about it ad nauseum, how Texas really would abandon their inside leverage. The DBs would not uh, practice inside leverage, and teams were able to throw slant routes, in routes, glance routes, post routes. Um, and I went and clocked it from last season 
uh, last season, teams who threw post routes, uh, they first down percentage of 44%, just targeting post routes last year, uh, 11.3 yards per attempt. Slant routes, teams were completing 66% of them. Not a bad completion, but look at the first down touchdown rate of slant routes against Texas last season, 43%. Uh, in cuts, in routes, uh, were really successful versus Texas. Angle routes, which is running backs coming out of the backfield, essentially coming out and running a, a slant themselves. Um, teams were highly successful, 100% completion percentage on those angle routes. Um, and remember Oklahoma State last season and how many slant routes they ran? I, I looked at in-breaking routes from the Oklahoma State game last season, and it was a 69% completion percentage, 11.3 yards per attempt just on slant routes alone. They just kept throwing to them over and over again because Texas wouldn't – they practice inside leverage. This season they've been much better. I actually was tracking it early, and then I thought it's not even an issue, so I'm not even going to worry about it. And it popped up in this game again, and I have no idea why Texas is abandoning the inside leverage and the DBs are just giving it up. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later because Sark was also asked about that. But here's what I looked at. So I looked at in-breaking routes. I, I counted 16 in-breaking routes. It's going to be drags, uh, over, under, skinny post routes, post routes, um, slant routes. You get it. And they were 11 of 16. Uh, it's a damn near 69% completion percentage throwing to in-breaking routes, thir- over 13 yards per attempt. That's the number that is troubling, troubling. to say the least. Yeah, because a lot of that is yards after the catch. Because some of these are underneath the shallow drag routes. Some of these are slant routes that, you know, obviously these guys are able to break tackles and make plays down the field. And to me, if you look at just the drag routes alone, that was probably the biggest uh, in big, the biggest impact in breaking route for U of H. They were five or seven throwing those drag routes for over a hundred yards. That's a problem because one of those that fifty-one yarder <laughs> uh, where they run this empty formation and they run these shallow drag. Guy catches it and he runs. I think like thir- four, thirty-five extra yards or something like that. Uh, so that was so. It, basically, my point in skid the skinny post routes, the post routes they kept throwing, and one of them ended up being a touchdown on that post route by Matthew Golden. Um, that also hurt him a lot. They were three or four throwing posts and skinny post routes against Texas. Texas has to be better with inside leverage when they're playing man. Even when they're playing zone, you can still play zone by playing inside leverage just to give you a bit of an advantage in case it's an inside cut. Well, and uh, we recorded our episode of Eyes on Texas, the multicast last night, Rod, and Mike Craven uh, from Dave Campbell's Texas Football was at the game. He was in Houston mm-hmm. covering the game, and uh, he had the stat that when Keaton Crawford and Michael Taft were together in the back secondary and the back safety positions, um, Houston was, you know, when they attacked that position, oh, yeah. seven of eight for like 170 yards um, for Donovan Smith, which those two together, uh, it's, it's a struggle. And it's, you know, I think both have some limitations. Both are, have some strengths. Keaton's a really fast player, uh, but he's a converted corner. Michael Taff is, you know, a good player in the back end. He's the one trying to direct traffic at all the time. It feels like he had a huge interception in the game. He did, and yeah. that was the, the seven of eight. That was the one, right, that uh, uh, they got. And so they're going to they're gonna have to figure that out. I mean, they've got an issue there. And this is where you talk about being a problem solver as a coach. You've got to coach around it. You've got to figure it out. And now you have the injuries on top of it. Who's healthy, who's not? Maybe more Derek Williams, Rod? You, you definitely need more Derek Williams. He's your best cover man in the second. Freshman in, out of Louisiana. At, at safety position. And honestly, uh, that's why I played the cut earlier of uh, Steve Sarkeesian talking about the versatility of Jade Barron. I would, I would consider 
if you like what Jalen Gilbo is doing at the star position, at the nickel position, or you think, hey, Terrence Brooks, if we get healthy at corner with Ryan Watts and, you know, you got Malik Muhammad, maybe Terrence Brooks could move inside to nickel if you trust him there. I would consider moving Jade Barron situationally, just situationally, to safety at times just to give you a better cover guy at safety so you're not so exposed and your safeties are on a liability automatically on third and long. Yeah. Automatically go, oh, well, we know where we're going. We're going exactly to the safety. Exactly what Houston did. You know, you put Derrick Williams back there and Jaday Barron, then they're thinking, okay, that's not that's not an obvious weakness for them. We got to go somewhere else. And then you get Ryan Watts at a corner. You could get Terrence Brooks or Malik Muhammad at a corner. And then you could have Jalen Gilbo or Terrence Brooks at the nickel. To me, that would be my, kind of my passing – uh, if I was, that would be the option in pass predictable passing situations for me to move Jaday Barron back to safety. He could do it, and it would help his draft stock to play every position in the secondary. Which yeah. Is. yeah. All right. Speaking of safeties, there was a trade made in the NFL that is oh. an impactful one potentially. Want Rod's thoughts on that? Also, wow. we'll hear from Dana Holgerson in his own words about the uh, new defense they ran and threw at Texas on Saturday. As we move forward and uh, you know re- continue to recap what went on this past Saturday, we'll start looking forward as well to the BYU matchup coming up this Saturday. Yeah, but a trade in the NFL that kind of flew under the radar, but uh, could be imp- impactful to the Cowboys and the rest of the NFC. Details coming next on Hook 'Em Up with Ian Rodby. Aaron Hogan, Rod Babers, Hook Em Up, 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Hook Em Up for sure. It is uh, Texas Rangers to the World Series emphatically. 20 runs over two games in Houston, game six and seven, and they left no doubt uh, who was the better side. They roughed up Christian Javier, the Astros postseason uh, ace over the last couple of years. Uh, Got after him early, got him out in the first inning, and then – just never stopped hitting. Rangers 11, Astros 4, series over. Rangers will now host game one of the World Series on Friday night. So uh, from not winning the uh, division, remember that final day situation where the Astros ended up winning the division, yeah. Rangers had to climb, which may have, may have been the best thing for them to, get, to take a little bit of adversity right there at the end of the year, uh, cough up what felt like their division. Uh, most of the year uh, they end up as a wild card go to Tampa roll through the Rays go to Baltimore crush through the Roy- Orioles and then you know it was a great seven game series with Houston but in the end they flexed and were the better team I got some the uh, World series I got some who said that audio for y'all uh, referring to that who said that? that later later to that is it related oh. to your Rangers side congratulations by the way Ty uh, okay. I'm, I'm gonna take the high road here I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk too much yeah well, it was a good series, a good series. It was. It you was. deserve it. You, you can talk some trash if you want to. Yeah, Are you going to try to go to a, a, a game? I looked at tickets, and those no leads are $800. So unless, unless, I can get a, unless I can get a hookup, probably not going to happen. Come on, find it. Come up with a scheme. Let's go. Let's get this done. <laughs> Come up with a scheme. One of those Ty Henderson Ty, yeah, Ty Henderson special. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we'll see if we can help you with that, too. Uh, all right, Rod, so we'll talk more baseball. Props to the Rangers. Also talking Longhorns and their secondary issues. Uh, we'll tell you about this trade in the NFL, which impacts it, which also brings back to the, uh, the Monday Night Football game last night and some NFL uh, NFC power rankings after seven weeks. But can I play this for you? Oh, yeah. Because much was made after the game on Saturday um, you know, Texas saw a brand-new defense from Houston and Dana Holgerson. Because uh, remember, the, Houston had two weeks off and then they, for the bye week. Then they had a Thursday night game off their bye week and then 10 days to get ready for Texas, so a little extra time. And here was Dana Holgerson talking about the defense they ran against Texas on Saturday, which Steve Sarkeesian said they hadn't seen on film 
uh, all year long for this Houston team. And he wasn't lying. Here's Dana Holgerson confirming uh, what Sark had said. You know, internally on kind of what would be best – I mean, I give our coaches credit, uh, you know, just going back and looking at some of the problems that, you know, some of the teams that played Texas pretty tight, pretty tough, and gave them some problems. I think the element of change was good. Our players embraced it. <clears throat> um, it was one of the first things Sark said to me after the game, like, really, you went to a 3-3-5 defense, <laughs> which that's what we ran at, at, at West Virginia, and Doug was a part of that staff. Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't foreign to them. There's a reason why a lot of teams have went to it, you know, in this league. Just really good offenses. I mean, Kansas State's they went to it. Oklahoma State went to it. West Virginia's done it forever. Um, you know, four down fronts like what Texas runs is, you know, kind of what we've been doing, um, and they're good at it because they have a front that is just exceptional. You know, Alabama does it, Georgia does it. You know, these guys are exceptional, okay? You know, we've been good at it here, and it worked in the American, and, <clears throat> you know, one is 12 games, you know. And just going against uh, Texas, I just – I didn't think it was going to be the answer. I mean, they just – they're too good, you know. And so if they know where we were and 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 how we played against West Virginia, I mean, we were going to give up a lot of big plays if we did that. And – the one thing that we did defensively is we didn't give up big plays. We gave up one fade route. Um, you know, other than that, we made them kind of earn it, you know, and we slowed them down. Uh, so, um, you know, it was successful, and I was proud of our, our players and our coaches on how they embraced this, you know, and, and, and how, we, how we tackled. We tackled good. We rallied to the ball, and we got the ball on the ground. We forced them to punt. We held them on a couple of fourth downs. So, it was pre yeah, I think it's something that we can build on. Um, you know, Dana Holgerson, uh, they went to the three, three, five defense, the three high. And as you said, they were playing it from the snap. I mean, it was from the beginning of the game, which, yeah. uh, Texas didn't anticipate. And, um, you know, they beat it early, but then, then they really started doubling down on the receivers on the back end and, and making it real tough on Texas. And, uh, Texas can expect to see more of that, I would imagine. And I think that's one of the interesting points of there is, you know, when they were playing in the American athletic conference, Rod, Rod they could go four down and match up with yeah. teams in the AAC. You can't do that. And, you know, Texas can play four down because they have a really good defensive front. Uh, but it, interesting uh, coaching X's and O's there behind the scenes. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I've been talking about it all season long. Sark has stated that teams did that earlier in the season. Rice in Wyoming. Oklahoma did it because uh, X-Man and Jonathan Brooks talked about it uh, after the game. Those were slow starts, though. And, and, and the thought process of you want to get Texas to start slow – you throw out a defense at them that they hadn't seen on film. Um, they did that, and Texas didn't start, start slow. Yeah. So the the to me the adjustment within that uh, that that game plan for Dana Hogson and Doug Belk that was the brilliant strategy. Sark seemed to be unbothered by the 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 unfamiliar uh, game plan or the unfamiliar presentation that he hadn't seen on film. It didn't bother him. They went up twenty one points. Yep. And to me, what was troubling is you, you kind of lost the battle of adjustments. You really couldn't figure out. You know what I mean? You got beat in the battle of adjustments. Your preparation and game plan is kind of a throwback to last season. Your preparation and game plan was awesome to the point where it didn't matter that they came out in something that you were not prepared for and hadn't seen on film. But then they adjusted to your preparation and game plan, and then you really didn't have a counter. Yeah. 
a lot of dump downs, and then, of course, the quarterback got hurt in the fourth quarter. But yeah. uh, Longhorns still found a way to win that game. That's the difference from last yes, year no in that battle of adjustments. Longhorns end up winning the ball game and uh, still alive yeah. and sitting at number seven in the country. And that's going right. to happen again, by the way. That's the, sure. that's the that's now part of the blueprint is you got to throw something at Texas that they haven't seen on film. Uh, but like I said, in this game, I don't know if it had the same effect as it had earlier in the season because Texas had the fast start. No question. All right, so uh, yesterday, trade deadline, Rod, is coming up now. Uh, we're a week away to it. Today is the 24th of October. The trade deadline is on the last day of October and November mm-hmm. in the NFL. Philadelphia Eagles. Remember the Eagles a couple, uh, about a year and a half ago, acquired a guy named A.J. Brown from the Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans, and it was a huge acquisition. Yep. It really changed from the Eagles from a good offense to a great offense. Yep. Uh, well, the Philadelphia Eagles are working with Tennessee again to acquire Kevin Bayard, uh, the you know, former all-pro safety for the Tennessee Titans. Eagles will receive, will send a fifth round and a sixth round selection in the 2024 draft as well as safety Terrell Edmonds in exchange. Mm. So two late round picks and a safety. Uh, Byard has appeared in 120 games since being drafted by the Titans in 2016. He's been one of the NFL's most consistent safeties. He's recorded 27 career interceptions, including a league high in his all-pro year of 2017. Uh, we talked about the Eagles yeah. and their secondary being a bit leaky. Yep. Well, they just went and maybe shorted up. I mean, Kevin Byard is a really good player. He is. He's one of the best safeties in the league. I mean, so now I don't know how they keep doing this. I mean, how does this keep happening? How do other teams not able to pull off these types of trades? I didn't even know if Kevin Byard was available, and I think maybe some of the GMs around the NFL are saying the same thing. If you're the Dallas Cowboys now, I mean, you – man, the separation now between you and the Eagles – is now a wider gap than it was before. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm not saying there's a big gap, but it's a wider gap than whatever it was. Well, and if you were watching the game Dolphins on Sunday night, we talked about it coming out of the draft. Their ability to pluck Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith off that Georgia defense in, in, with two first-round picks, both of those guys were hugely impactful against the Dolphins. I mean, Jalen Carter continues to be unblockable. Remember, going into the to the draft cycle, Jalen mm-hmm. Carter was seen as the best prospect in the draft, regardless of position. Yep. And, of course, and he slid him. to the ninth of pick because did. of the off-field stuff and the drag racing situation for the national champs. And he slides right to Philadelphia at nine. I mean, the best player in the draft, arguably, most impactful player, ends up on the Philadelphia Eagles in your own division. And then at the back end, after a lot of teams passed on him, they traded up again and got Nolan Smith who yeah. big-time pass rush freakish, prospect, freakish four, three speed off the edge. Yeah. He had a sack of Tua Tungavailoa in that game in a big spot. Uh, so now you go get Kevin Byard to shore up to help to shore up to one of your deficiencies, which is your secondary, and the Eagles are better. The Eagles are better. Now, they're not as good offensively. Their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, is now in Indianapolis, and Jalen Hurts is second in the league in turnovers for a quarterback now. Um, but they're still pretty good. They are. And they still have the tush push and the uh, the, the, the Still Philly. have the best lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Arguably. And now they've added Kevin Byard. He's a really good player. That also leads me to this conversation, Rod. Are, are the uh, Tennessee Titans about to start trading some dudes? Is it about that time? Is, is Derrick Henry available? And yeah, who would who want, want him? I was going to say, who wants Derrick Henry? Well, that, you know, it's the back end of his contract. Do you want a bill? <laughs> you want extra? I mean, he's a he's an aging running back and a devalued, a devalued market for running backs. backs. But but you've seen but it. You got to pay for him. Well, just for this year, just I for know. this year. Like, well, is, is he worth it for this year? Is he, does he put you over the top? Uh, who does he put over the top? I still think he's a real good player. He's a real good player, but who does he put over the top? Is the question that I ask with the money you're going to pay for a position that has been devalued. For a Cowboys offense that has um, struggled in the red zone, I think he would 
he would help out with that exponentially. That's an interesting point. That'd be such a Jerry Jones move. You you do you 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 doing that, and the Eagles are doing what they're doing. It just go ahead. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> and I mean, the, and the, gap, Henry, the gap would grow, in my opinion, even more. Well, it's got, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I, mean, it's, I think it's similar to think, what we saw in the Rangers and the Astros this year when they were both trading for Verlander and Scherzer, and you know, you gotta if you, if your division opponents making moves to get better, you have to you have to well, answer I mean, respond. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I agree with you responding. I don't know if Derek Henry is the response. Devontae Adams, yes. Derek Henry, no. Well, I just think <laughs> I, mean, I don't know that. if it's the Cowboys go, or if it's I, I just get, think yeah. Derek Henry still's got a lot in the tank you know, when you watch him play. He's still a 250 pound back. Um, and again, it's only a one year. It's a it's a three month rental. So is your offensive line good enough to to yeah. do to, to well, maximize Rob, we Derek Henry? We talked about how there is, is Rico Dowdle and Tony Pollard, and Tony Pollard doesn't look like the same back right now that we've seen. So I disagree with that. So and they need a running game for Dak Prescott. I wouldn't I wouldn't hate the, the idea. I don't know if it, how much closer it brings you to Philadelphia, but at the same time, I think it would be an upgrade of your running back room in a big way, uh, which I still am questioning. And Dallas wouldn't be the only team. I think there are some other teams that are at least in the mix that could use a running game, that could use a big power back like that, uh, to, especially with the, with the red zone issues we're seeing around the league. Yeah, Baltimore would be an interesting Baltimore name. Baltimore's spreading it out now. They're running like an air raid off. I don't think he makes sense for – you got give me the team that he puts over the top. Give, other than you think the, I, don't I don't know think, if he puts a team over the top, but I think yeah. my question is if, if Tennessee looks at Ryan Tannehill and says he's banged up again, we're a rebuild mode. Um, you know, who else? If, if Kevin Byard's available, uh, a reliable veteran, really good safety, um, you know, safety. Derrick Henry, that offense has been built around Derrick Henry for the better part of the last six or five or it six years. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see if there's a move there coming. Uh, there's also been the name of Dory Jackson, the corner. Uh, that's in, a good in one. That's who the Cowboys could look at potentially. Yeah. They need a corner. So that does that trade of, of, of Kevin Byard kind of under the radar signal more trades that Tennessee's willing to make? And who other – what other players? You mentioned Devontae Adams and the Raiders. Um, you know, they, Josh, they, Josh. They don't seem to be – they don't seem to want to – you know, give force feed him the football, and he's making comments now too. Yeah, and he's he's still a really good player. He's a really good player. Yeah, that's a, that's a name to watch. And you know, the fact that they won this week may minimize it. We I kind of flirted with telling talking about it last week, but you know, one player that I think could could help a lot of people is Saquon Barkley. Now that now you're talking. Saquon Barkley is a guy that the New York Giants. They won last week, though, but they're playing with a backup quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, and we know Saquon Barkley's on a one-year franchise tag. He wants a new contract. And he wants a new contract. The Giants mm-hmm. don't want to give it to him, and they're not very good, and they got off to a terrible start. Uh, Saquon Barkley would be a difference maker now, for football. that moves my needle. Yeah. That moves my needle right there. Yes. I don't know which team it is, but mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley is still a dude. Because uh, I, think, I think Saquon and Derrick Henry are different players. Right agreed. Now. Agreed. Right? Because uh, Saquon is still 26 years old. Yeah, and he and, can't be in the passing game a lot more. Yeah, I just think they're just, that, that could be like a Christian McCaffrey kind yeah, of move. Yeah, like that to me. Now that, there you go. You make that kind of move. I know he's not going to trade him in a division. But, I don't think the yeah. Cowboys are in that <laughs> yeah, mix, but, but uh, other teams could be. Yes. We'll put that out there because that trade went down. Uh, we heard talk some Texas football. Coming back, we'll play some bullish or BS on a Tuesday, some topics that you need to hear that uh, we're bullish on and maybe calling BS on. Could have been that right there. But uh, hook them up with Ian Rod B on a Tuesday. Aaron Hogan, Rod Beavers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. And hornfm.com. Somebody asked, are you guys still on YouTube? We are uh, broadcasting from the... Uh, the home headquarters this week. We're doing some work at the uh, station, uh, construction right. work and renovation stuff. So we are uh, in commute. We're kind of in between. So we're doing the show this week at the, the home headquarters. Rod comes over to my house and we do the show. So we are not on YouTube or Twitch. We're gonna we'll get it back. We'll get it back up and running. We'll but, uh, in transition. 
shortly, uh, yeah. making some moves. You know, they do harden our construction some places. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But we're still on with you live and local for five hours a day, five days a week here on Hook 'Em Up. Uh, we asked off the top of this hour, Gary Clark Jr. playing Longhorn City Limits this week for ahead of the Longhorn game. Uh, where does that rank in biggest acts that they've had? Somebody said Third Eye Blind was really good. Oh, it's good. They, says, they, uh, they had Nelly, though, right? That, was Nelly that? was probably the biggest. Somebody let big. us know that I, I had forgotten Zach Bryan played on LSDL. Oh, there you Zach go. Bryan is okay. uh, That's since, pretty big time. Now playing stadiums. Okay. <laughs> since blown up. Yeah. So I had forgotten that one. The Revo- some somebody said The Revolution was big. And that's Prince without the – that's Prince's backup group, right? But the Revolution is still an incredible band. <laughs> incredible band. But, I mean, yeah, it's, they're, they're not – without Prince, they're not as big. I mean, come on. It's like the pips without Gladys Knight. What is it huh. called? <laughs> revolution? The Revolution. Prince and the Revolution. But it's not without Prince, obviously. Yeah. yeah just the Revolution. Uh, this says Cowboys would be better with Derrick Henry, and because there's a year left, might not cost them too much in draft capital. Yeah, I think you can get them for not much. Uh, but you but know, the salary though, I still he's being paid. He's getting paid pretty good money for, for a running back. For a running, and the Cowboys are already paying Tony Pollard ten million dollars. Don't they still got dead money on Zeke? Still, and dead money on Zeke. A yeah. lot of dead money. Speaking on Zeke, of Zeke, that's exactly right. Do you think if you could get Zeke for literally nothing, would you? Ooh. If you're Jerry, Jones, you're already paying him. Would you? Tra- yeah, exactly. Would you, would you take him back <laughs> just for those goal line <laughs> situations, like I mentioned? Yeah, they, they definitely need a short yardage back. Though I agree with you on that, though, Ty. Yeah, and they I, definitely need and a short I, well, I, That's where I would bridge the gap and say I'd be I'd be more bullish on Derrick Henry than Zeke Elliott in a return because I have I mean Derrick Henry had a 150 yard game earlier this year he still looks like a guy that can wear a team out and he's really still hard to tackle uh a, a one-two combination of Henry and Pollard would would I, I think that would be an upgrade but no, we'll see and we okay. talked about it with the idea that uh uh, with the trade of Kevin Byard, maybe there is some more trade. And this is something to watch in the upcoming week in the NFL. We're through week seven. This would be the trade deadline week. This would be if a, mo- a move is going to get made. It's got to get made before November 1st. Uh, and so, the separation, you know now if you got a chance of making the postseason. You know. If you, if well, you let me ask shot. you this, though. That's a perfect to you know. walk into bullish or BS. Who, who are you most bullish on in the, in the AFC and the NFC right now? Most bullish. Well, Kansas City, how can you not be bullish on Kansas City? Yeah, after their slow start, they had, like, their offense is Speaking of moves, they need to make a move. They did. They brought McCole Hardman back. But, ah, they need another move. Yeah. They need a Um, a needle-moving move. But it kind of feels like the other moves, that the the receivers that are available in their own division, right? Jerry, Judy, Devontae Adams. Would those teams be willing to move somebody to the Chiefs that they see every twice a year? No way. Probably not. And Justin Ross. did you, did y'all hear about that story that came out last night? No, what happened? He like got fel- felony charges. Uh, oh no! Some like theft over twenty five thousand oh. dollars or something like oh, that. Oh lord! They like that dude too. Yeah. Come on! So he yeah, looks looks like he's probably done for the for- foreseeable future. But well, look yeah, and the, the the sneaky little not even sneaky little but the and we said this early when I saw him play Jacksonville. Chiefs are really good defense. Chiefs has now now have one of the best defenses in the league. They, they, can, they, they drafted nothing but secondary guys like last. They the got good linebackers. And, now Charles Amenahu's back. Yeah. He's been playing for them. They had like three rookies starting in the secondary last year. And they've kind of pivoted yeah. to, a, to, okay, if we can play really good defense with this quarterback and Travis Kelsey, we're going to win a lot of football games. I mean, uh, let's not get in shootouts like we used to. Let's let Patrick Mahomes – score enough points for us, and let's play some really good defense. And Steve Spagnuolo uh, still calls a really good defense. And then I guess the Eagles in the NFC, I mean, they, they just beat the Dolphins in a head-to-head matchup of 5-1 and one teams to go to 6-1. Go to and one. Now they acquire Kevin Byard, probably the most bullish on them in the NFC. Yeah. Niners, after the uh, you know, blazing start, have lost back-to-back games at Cleveland and at Minnesota. 
which kind of gives you pause. Well, but it's they, about injuries with them, right? They against the Cowboys, they were fresh. Saying they had all right, all available bodies out there. Not everybody, but most of all their star players were available versus the Cowboys. If you're a Cowboys fan now, you're thinking, man, what does Cleveland and Minnesota have that we don't? Nothing. You're yeah. more talented than them. But the, the 49ers weren't at full strength. They didn't have Debo. Uh, Trent Williams dealing with an injury. They got some guys that are now starting to get nicked up. And that is their kryptonite. Yeah. That's what held them back from being a Super Bowl champion the last three, four years potentially. Hey, uh, Ty, are you bullish or BS on this conversation that uh, Rangers can, can uh, talk all they want and good luck in the World Series, but Houston's still the kings of baseball in the state of Texas. <laughs> I saw that text. That made, that made me – that made me laugh a little bit. Well, that's, that's I, Rod said this who earlier. Said that? Who said you know, Just a texter. Who, oh, really? I think it's funny. But, look, I mean, the, the, the fun part of this is whatever happens in this World Series, and we'll root for the Rangers here in the state of Texas, uh, you know, next year will be fun because now there is a real rivalry. Uh, oh, you know, man. There is an absolute rivalry because, uh, you know, neither team had been – they hadn't been good together uh, until game. this year. And yep. this was fun this year. Astros won the regular season, you know, crown. Rangers won the first ever series, and they did it amidst controversy. You see Aroldis Chapman last night because, you know, Brian Abreu hit another Ranger. Oh. Who was it? He hit Mitch Garver right up under his ribcage. And then Aroldis Chapman in the ninth inning intentionally hit Chaz McCormick, and it was a 103-mile-an-hour fastball, and it went behind his left leg and hit him in the back knee at 104 miles, like right behind the backside of his knee. That's a – At 104 miles an hour. spot to hit, too. Oh, Oh, man. Uh, I, I don't want to see the pictures of Chaz McCormick's oh, legs this morning. Oh, I think it's up oh. like some type of cantaloupe or something. Oh. oh. So, again, there's a rivalry now. I don't think Dusty Baker will be the manager of the Astros next year. They'll have somebody new. I think Dusty's going to ride off and retire. But uh, the rivalry is now here. Oh, and, no doubt. I'm, I'm, rooting, I'm rooting for the state of Texas. I'm rooting for the Rangers, man. I hope they win. Good content for us, but also – I mean, that'd be one of the best rivalries in sports, back-to-back years with the, both of the rivals. It might be a little wild. Win a championship? That, well, I mean, the Astros that's are, never happened before. Yeah, the Astros will still have Altuve and Bregman and Jordan and uh, good pitching staff. So, the uh, core comes back. Rangers will be really good again next year, and we hope they win the World Series this year. So, yeah, that, that's fun. Uh, bragging rights in Texas on the on the baseball diamond. And there's there's bad blood. There's bad yeah. blood. Hey, Taylor Swift song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that a Taylor Swift song? Yeah. There you go. Hey, right. I just bring reference. it all back to Taylor Swift. That's random Seven reference. degrees of Taylor Swift. We haven't referenced her today, so there you go. Got to get that in. We'll be back. <laughs> Hook him up with Ian Rod B. Rolls on.